Please turn with me to the Old Testament, to the prophet Isaiah and chapter 55. So Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, and we will read together the whole of this uh, chapter. A well-known chapter, or a chapter with many well-known texts within it. Isaiah 55, we will commence our reading at verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, And nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it, Bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Amen. And the text for the reading of God's Word and preaching of God's Word this evening is the first three verses of chapter 55, uh, which we will read once again. So 
for chapter 55 of Isaiah's prophecy, verses 1 to 3. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labour for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Amen. Let us briefly call upon the Lord in prayer for the help that we need in the preaching and in the hearing of the Word of God. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word that we've had read out in our hearing. We thank Thee, Lord, for speaking to us. And it is a life-giving voice. And we pray, O Lord, that it would be applied to, to many, all of us tonight, that that Word would enter into our hearts. The Lord, that Thou would make a way Lord, we are naturally resistant to the Word of God, and the flesh is at enmity with the Spirit. But may it please Thee even tonight to give that help, and that Thy Holy Ghost would work amongst us with with this Word, with His Word, and help us, we pray. Lord, grant unto those that believe not that gift of faith, work faith in hearts, And in the hearing of the word, O Lord, is so thine own chosen means. For faith cometh by the hearing of the word. And that is the word of God. And we do pray for thy mercy and thy blessing to be upon us. And give thou me help. Give me thy spirit and that anointing from above. O God, to preach thy word. I'm a mere man, Lord, and this is a divine word. And give that help from above. And we pray, O Lord, that the sinners would be converted, the backslidden restored, and the people of God well-fed by thy word. Hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, The true practice of fasting... The biblical, uh, as is taught in the scriptures, as is exemplified in the scriptures, and I hope to look at that in some detail in the coming time. But this practice of fasting is really an exercise of self-denial. It's where the, uh, the believer is spending this time and giving the inner man, as it were, the opportunity to have more room, to have more, well, and the opportunity to suppress the old man of the flesh. The old man of the flesh is, as it were, put in his place, and, and, and the new inner man is spending more time in reading the Scriptures and, and in praying and singing and spending time in fellowship with the Lord. That's, that's really one of the aspects of, of fasting, is self-denial 
And then with that self-denial and putting the flesh in its place is spending more time. And you have more time when you're not preparing food and cooking food and eating food and clearing up after the food. And so you have more time to do so, to spend more time in self-denial, more time in feeding the soul as opposed to feeding the body. And there are many common periods of, of fasting that people will undertake. A day's fast can be very common, three days, five days, even, even ten days. We know from the Scriptures that both Moses and the Lord Jesus Christ spent 40 days uh, fasting. And, and we can fast from foods for long periods, uh, but as long as we keep our bodies hydrated. We, we must, we must uh, hydrate the bodies. Hunger is something that we can learn to suppress. We can learn to control it to some degree. And we can live a relatively long time without food, but not without liquids. We need to drink water. We need to drink something that contains water, coffee, juice, tea or something. Because without water, we, we quickly dry out. Without water, our body cannot function properly at all. and becomes quite dangerous. And that's why the body starts waving. You may notice me this evening, a bit, bit of thirsty. Obviously, the diabetes is up this evening. Uh, but the body starts waving that red flag of thirst. It needs drink. It demands drink. And, and thirst is, is, is a, a deeply felt urge that we must fulfill. We must find something to drink. And thirst is a, it's a necessary physical craving for the body's needs to fulfill literally a life and death need. We cannot go long, we cannot go more than a few days without any water at all. And both thirst and hunger are pointed to in these verses. Again and again we, we, we read about thirst and hunger and eat and drink. But the thirst and the hunger that we're seeing here is of a different nature. It's, it points to a spiritual thirst. But that spiritual thirst and that spiritual hunger also need to be satisfied. We cannot go long. It's not good for the soul to be deprived of that which it needs. And as we will discover, the satisfaction for such spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst is only to be found in Jesus Christ. It's only to be found in Jesus Christ, who himself is revealed here in these scriptures and by his, his own prophet Isaiah. And the question then that there goes forth as we, as we consider these verses is, do you thirst for Christ? Do you thirst for Christ? And we see firstly, as we look at the first verse, we see three invitations. There are three invitations in verse 1 which says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money, and without a price. So the first of these invitations is an invitation to those who are unquenched. They haven't quenched their thirst. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. The word ho there is a, is a word that's meant to get your attention. It's, uh, its origins from the English language anyway, where that word ho comes from, are from hunting on horseback. The people would shout out ho, uh, and, and the idea was to raise your voice above the sound of the, of the, of the barking dogs, the barking hounds, and, and the sounds of the hooves on the ground. You can get everyone's attention and point to where the deer has gone or where the fox has moved on to or whatever it might be. So the idea of, of shouting above the noise. And in some ways, so is this gospel word that goes out this evening. 
that begins with the word ho, to draw your attention, to get your attention. And it is a call that goes out above the noise of the world, above the chatter of your own thoughts and the distractions of your own heart, to get your attention, even in the preaching. Many people can sit under the preaching and then and maybe half tune out or maybe completely turn off or be distracted by something else. And yet the Word of God is, with the very first word of this chapter, is calling you to attention. Be attentive. Listen. The idea of attentive is also uh, from a word, French word, meaning to listen. We're to listen carefully. Ho, pay attention. All those that know something of a spiritual thirst. So if you have an idea of what the physical thirst is, then this is a spiritual thirst. And what is that spiritual thirst then? Well, the Lord preaches it on the mount in Matthew 5 and 6. He says this. He says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. It is indeed a thirst for righteousness, a deep thirst in the soul of man, and your soul lacks the righteousness of God by nature. It does not have righteousness. Why does it not have righteousness? It's because it sins. A sinner is unrighteous. And because of guilt for sin, and because of unbelief, the soul is dry, it is parched, it is as good as dead. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says about the soul in Ephesians 2. Dead in trespasses and sins, parched and dried out by activities that should not have been done by a human soul. The human soul was not created for this. It was made for a holy fellowship with a holy God. And yet man has discovered many inventions which tend to sin and wickedness. The soul has become so parched and dry, even the young soul, even the soul as the babe in arms, outside of the the work of the Spirit of God is dead and dry and it's parched. And nothing you have tried has done any long-lasting good. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, as he speaks to that Samaritan woman, he says, you can drink from the water of this well, but you'll be thirsty again. But there is a quenching of thirst that is an eternal quenching, a quenching that will sustain you for all eternity. But all these short-term measures, whatever they may be, have done you no good, and we're but a distraction from the true thirst that you have. And now, under the preaching of the gospel this evening, and under the the convicting work of the Spirit, maybe your soul is starting to complain of this thirst. I know something of this thirst, you might say. A desire. Maybe the Holy Ghost is enlightening your eyes to see your need of Jesus Christ, your need of, of being quenched, of having that thirst removed. You're seeing the complaint of something you've never really experienced before. A deep and an unrelenting spiritual thirst. Dry and oh so dry. But how are you to have this thirst of your soul met and and quenched? How is that thirst to be satisfied? Well, it says here in the chapter, Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Come to the place where that spiritual thirst can be quenched, where it can be dealt with. And what are those waters? Well, as we've already read in in the call to worship, those waters are from Christ himself. 
Essentially, the the prophet Isaiah is saying, everyone that thirsts after righteousness, come ye to Jesus Christ. Come ye to him and have your thirst quenched. And as he says, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So not only will we drink deeply of, uh, have a sweet, refreshing, cool draft of the waters that Christ gives us, but he will make us a source of living water. And so therefore, come ye to the waters is clearly a command to you this evening to come to Jesus Christ. It is an invitation to those as yet unquenched. But the second invitation that we see is, is to those without means, those without the wherewithal, those without money. He says, And he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. And if somebody wanted to sell you something, they wouldn't be opening the door of the shop and and be saying to people, I only want people who have no money to come in here. Quite the opposite. The shopkeeper knew you had no money, or wherever you were, the restaurant owner, he's like, I've got no money. He says, well, there's the door. But the Lord is not after your money in this way or for this reason. There is nobody in their own existence, by their own abilities and by their own hard work, that has any money, that has any riches, as far as God is concerned. I'm not talking about finances. I'm not talking about material cash. I'm talking about there is no one that is rich towards God. Nobody has any wealth. And what is that riches? Well, again, brings us back to righteousness. We do not have any of our own righteousness. And rather we are unrighteous. We're not rich towards God. And exactly what the Lord said to that rich farmer. Luke 12 and verses 20 to 21. But God said unto him, Thou fool this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Any ungodly person can work very hard and fill a bank account and, and fill a, a, a portfolio with, with, with lands and with estates and with all sorts of matters. But he will not be rich toward God through those matters, through those things. And, and this farmer then, like, like most farmers, probably worked very hard and worked long hours. And at times of, of harvest and, and then the monies came in. And yet for all of his hard work and his good harvest, and we know he had an abundant harvest, more good, more, uh, better than usual, and he had a nice house and he had a large farm, and, but he was poverty-stricken towards God. And so when God came to him to deal with him and to deal with his soul, he saw that this man was absolutely poverty-stricken towards him. He had not, as it were, a penny that was of any value towards God. He, he, he was poor towards God. He was not rich towards God. He was unrighteous. He was an unrighteous sinner. And that's what we understand. Unrighteous men and women, boys and girls, 
are sinners. And when you sin, you break a law of God. You do not reach the standard of God. And, and you are therefore in debt towards God because of God has created you with the intention that you would, you would live a holy life and a holy life of fellowship with him. But sinners do not want to fellowship with God. They run away from fellowship with the, with the Lord, as did Adam and Eve. As soon as they had taken of that fruit that was forbidden to them, they fled. They fled from the presence of the Lord, especially when they heard the Lord in the garden. They fled. And so is the natural tendency of all the sinful men and women, and boys and girls, is to flee from the presence of God because there is a conscience within that says you are guilty, but God is holy. And something we therefore understand of the nature of God, however very confused and distorted it is in the heart of the sinner, understanding this much that God is holy, I am a sinner, I am in trouble. And so woe to everyone that thinks that hard work will get them into God's good books because it will not. Because you have nothing to offer God that would please him, that would appease him, that, that, that would do you any good spiritually, that would refresh uh, anything that you need. You have nothing. And the only thing that you can give God is, is through the gospel, that you can give him your sin and you can give him your guilt. And you can find refreshment for your ever so thirsty soul so the invitation to those who are unquenched the invitation to those without means come ye buy and eat when you have no money and then thirdly an invitation at no cost at all yea come buy wine and milk without money and without price the nutritious refreshment that is offered to us in the gospel, that is Jesus Christ himself, is no longer just portrayed as refreshing water, but as nutritious wine and nutritious milk, nourishing, health-giving, beneficial. He's not just giving us bread and water, as it were, but he's giving us much more to, to, the, to, the, to the person who is hunger and, and, and hungry or has been starving. You can't give them a three-course meal. It, the body couldn't take it, but it will take a drink of water. It will take a morsel of bread and slowly build up the digestive system's workings again. And in some ways, this is what the Lord is doing here. Come ye to the waters. Come ye buy and eat ye. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. As a soul is is listening to the gospel and understanding more of the gospel and is being fed more by the gospel. And although in this uh, last part of the verse we have the repetition of the expression without money, what is added to this is the word and without price. Without price. Coming to Christ for the refreshment of the thirst and hunger of your soul will not cost you a dime. It will cost you nothing. You are spiritually penniless anyway. We've just understood that from the, the second invitation. But all the provision for the quenching of your deepest thirst needs have been met by God. They've been paid for by the very source of these waters, by the Savior himself. You are to come without price because Christ has paid the price. 
He has paid the price for your soul thirst on the cross, and it is noticeable that in the taking away of your thirst, he himself cried on the cross, I thirst. I thirst. I have paid the price for the thirst of your soul. And he also speaks in the last book of, of the Scriptures, Revelation, where he says, again in an invitation, Revelation 21 and verse 6, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely, without price, because he has paid for it. He has paid for that with his life and his death. And so the question then is, are you a thirst? Do you see that your own soul is lifeless and dry? Then it needs a draft of eternal waters. And you'll only receive them from Jesus Christ as you come to him in repentance and faith. Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come to Christ. And you that hath nothing to pay with, come buy and eat of the Lord. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price, for Christ has paid it all. The three glorious, gracious gospel invitations. Secondly, as we move into verse 2, we see the two rebukes that are given. The two rebukes. The prophet then says, wherefore, why? Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And then secondly, and and your labor for that which satisfieth not. Your money cannot buy this bread. The money of this world, however much of it you have, is unable to pay for any spiritual good for your soul. Now because money is so important to us, we find that very difficult to understand. We think, surely my money, even in a religious way spent, is good and is pleasing to God. But any financial gift, even to the church, does not purchase anything from God. Because it's simply giving him a portion back what he gave to you in the first place. Money returned to the original possessor, to the true owner. And therefore, we we cannot bribe God with his own money. Now, there are some that believe that God can be bought off with some cash or with some sort of influence in that way. But let me tell you that God cannot be bribed. God is the righteous judge over all the earth, and and he cannot be bribed. He will not be bribed. You think you can influence him with money, then you are not aware that God is a holy and righteous God and a righteous judge. No, your money cannot influence God for good. If anything... Uh, trying to manipulate God, trying to buy favor with God by gifts, and this is what the medieval church was filled with, people building this and building that and giving donations to the church and and the Roman Catholic Church encouraging it because that was a a great source of money for them, a great source of wealth. But it had nothing to do with God, but it had everything to do with the wickedness of the Roman system. But that wickedness is common to all men. But when you try to bribe God or influence God, think if I do this, then God will be pleased with me, uh, then your attempt to bribe the unbribable God will bring wrath upon you. Bring wrath upon you, bring 
chastising to the children of God. But on the contrary, what we're being pointed to here is not the spending of money per se, but it is that you're spending it for that which is not bread. And in other ways that we could consider the application of that which is not bread, but what it's pointing to is to the bread. To the bread. You need to obtain the bread of life freely from the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said himself in, in John 6 and 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Again, continuing the preaching of Isaiah in another place. Now, your money cannot buy this bread, for the bread of life is freely given, and your works do not satisfy. Secondly, what does he say here? And your labor for that which satisfieth not. And this is shorthand in the Hebrew, so where it says, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And to fill out the second part, it says, And wherefore uh, do you spend your labor for that which satisfieth not? All, all your religion, all, all your works, all your attendance at the church, and all your attempts to keep the commandments, and all and any acts of kindness... However useful they may be, and they are, do not satisfy. They do not satisfy. And we can be oh so busy with them, but they, they do not satisfy. It does not satisfy your thirsty and hungry soul. It does not satisfy a righteous and holy God. It does not satisfy Him. There is only one satisfaction for God and for your soul. And that is the glorious person and the saving work of the only begotten Son of God. And there's nothing else and no one else. There is but one name given from heaven by which we must be saved. It is only Him. It's only Christ that satisfied God's plans or God's plan for redemption. It's only Christ. But God would become man. And it's only Christ that satisfied God's sacrifice for sin. And him being the Lamb of God without spot and blemish. And it's only Christ that satisfied God's price for redemption. It is only he that died an atoning death, for only he is sinless. Any other death on the planet from anyone, however good they were, was uh, dying in their own sin and for their own sin. But it's only Christ that could die an atoning death in the place of his people. And therefore, it is only Christ that satisfies your deepest and your eternal needs. And it is an eternal, eternal thirst that the Lord comes to satisfy for all those that come to him. And therefore, you must go to Christ. You must go to him so that God would be satisfied by Christ on your behalf. Because if, Christ, if, if the Lord was to look upon you, you in your sin and your unbelief and, and your stain and self-righteous works and everything else upon which the wrath of God falls, then there would be no peace, there would be no satisfaction. The Lord is not satisfied in you, but he is satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ and all that Christ did. That pure and sinless 33 and a half years 
never lying, never coveting, never stealing, never breaking any of the commandments and any of the applications of the commandments. Absolutely pure in heart, perfect Lamb of God. And then going, that perfection, then being hung upon the cross as the perfect sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice, bringing peace between God and His people. That sacrifices, that satisfies God. And therefore, if we would have God to be satisfied with us, then we must come to God, as it were, with Christ. And that your soul would be satisfied as it drinks in the waters of Christ. The three invitations, the two rebukes, all pointing us to the one thing needful. The one thing needful. And we see that in the second half of verse 2 and verse 3. It says, Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. We are, as it were, to come and sit like Mary at the feet of Jesus. Mary of Bethany, is she is desirous to hear the, the word of the Lord. And, and Martha complains, as we know this, we know this historical account, Martha complains to the Lord, saying that she's not laboring. And but yet the Lord did not correct Mary, he corrected Martha. He says, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And yet Martha was laboring for that which does not satisfy, but Mary, Mary hath chosen that good part. And that is the one thing that's needful, and that's what's being pointed at in our verse, uh, the second part of verse 2 and the whole of verse 3. Firstly then, to be obedient and attentive to the word of God. Hearken diligently unto me, the Lord says, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in, in fatness. So hearkening to the word of God, plus eating it as food for your soul, means this, as we read it here, hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. It means abundant life for your soul. Again, that idea of fatness is, is something rich and healthy. We have a very bad uh, relationship with fat uh, these days. But you look at the older paintings, and people were chubby. It meant that they were healthy, that they had money to buy food. That they weren't going from day to day and, 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 and from scraps and leftovers, but they had, they had good food, and so they had a, a healthy fatness. When we look at a baby, and a baby's healthy and chubby, you know, we think that's good, that's healthy, it's feeding well. You know, the birth weight's gone back above the birth weight, keeps on going up. It, it, it's a healthy child, and that's the idea we have here. We're not talking about uh, an obesity or anything. That's, the Lord is not talking of that. He says, let your soul delight itself in fatness, in good, rich, and healthy, f nourishing food. And the prophet continues. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. So not only is abundant life given to those that come to quench their soul thirst at the living waters of Christ, but that this will become what? It will become eternal life for your soul. 
So we have those two things, abundant life and an eternal life, all and only found in Jesus Christ. And connected to that truth is what we read also in verse 3, that God will make an everlasting covenant with you. That he will make an everlasting covenant with you, he says, even the sure mercies of David. There is, through Christ, an everlasting covenant. When we think of a covenant, we think of the marriage covenant, is that a man and a woman come together and will stay with each other, that they will be committed to each other so long as they have life. That, that covenant is not to be broken for any reason except for death. But when we, we're dealing with an everlasting covenant... What does that tell us? Well, firstly, the maker of that covenant is an everlasting being, and then the promise that we have in Jesus Christ is everlasting life, for that covenant never to be broken. And we understand then that Jesus Christ, as the bride of the church, makes a covenant with each and every member of the church as his bride. We see here clearly that that blessed, everlasting marriage covenant between Christ and the church. And the description of the contents of the covenant are termed here in an interesting phrase, the sure mercies of David. The sure mercies of David. And to understand this, we can go to the gospel preaching of Paul. Paul is on his first missionary journey. He comes into a second Antioch, the Pisidian Antioch. And he's speaking there of the power of the resurrection of Christ. And he says in Acts 13 and 34... He says, and as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said, on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. The sure mercies of David. And where can we find these sure mercies? So we understand the sure mercies of David are gifted in the gospel. They are to do with the the power of Christ's resurrection. They're mentioned here in Isaiah. They're preached on there in Acts 13. But we would have to go all the way back to 2 Samuel 7, which we've looked at before. The covenant of David, it is called. One of the five Old Testament uh, covenants, all showing something of of the covenant of grace to us. And we've already looked at that. But we have to understood, and we did try to understand at the time as we were reading through this, that passage in 2 Samuel 7, that there was a greater David that was pointed at the whole time. Although the Lord was making a covenant with David, it was also with his seed, and ultimately that seed being the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we were to read through those verses, then we would understand there's a number of things promised in that covenant. And just, just taking large headings, uh, what a king is promised. A king is promised in those verses. Besides a king, a kingdom. A king needs a kingdom. There's also sonship promised in that covenant. And mercy. Great mercy. So great that we can call it the mercies. The mercies of David. And all of those matters are understood to be eternal promises, covenantal promises. That there would be one eternal king and he would rule an eternal kingdom and all of those that are under that king and under his kingdom have an eternal sonship uh, with that king and receive great and refreshing and glorious mercy from this king. 
all eternal in worth. For whom? Uh, to those that obey the command that we've read, read this evening. To those that will come to the living waters of Christ, who will drink in his word, who will love him and will obey him, an everlasting covenant be, will be made with you. And as the covenant is sure, so are the mercies sure. And it is, as we understand from the Scriptures, a covenant, a promise, a seal of peace, a covenant of love and a covenant of mercy. But you must hear and you must come. As we've understood everything here where the Lord commands repeatedly, he says, Come ye to the waters, come ye buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price, hearken diligently unto me, incline your ear and come unto me, hear and your soul shall live. So we are to come and we are to hear. But what we've also discovered in those commands of God to the sinner is that where he commands you to come and he commands you to hear, he has also said it is all paid for. So the coming and the hearing are no payment, of course not. Come without money and without price, the Lord has paid. And therefore you can freely come. You can freely obey because that's what he says. He says, incline your ear, listen to what I've said. Obey what I've said. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. And these mercies are very sure. So much so that you could say with the, you can say with the psalmist, when you've heard the word and you've obeyed the word, you've come, you've heard, you've obeyed. And Psalm 23 and verse 6 says this, surely, same word, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And there we have then a a redeemed sinner, in that case David, singing of the, the glorious mercies that have been offered to him in the gospel. And remember, the preaching of the gospel is a means of grace. This is where you obtain grace. And so in a grace-rich environment, as it were, and the word goes forth, it is, it is no sin to obey the command of God. It is no presumption where the Lord says, incline thine ear and hear, and you incline your ear. And then when the Lord says, I've paid, come and take me without money and without price, then a pure obedience of it is gospel obedience and is oh so good for your eternal soul. And may the Lord bless his word to you. If you have any questions, ask me afterwards. If you didn't understand anything. And children, this word went out to you also. This very clear message is that the Lord has paid for all that you need for your soul. He will give you all that you need to fulfill that thirst. You know what it's like when you're thirsty. Oh, so thirsty. And sometimes you get that needle in your throat. You're so thirsty. But we're thinking of your soul. Thinking of the soul. Where can you have your soul quenched that you, that you would never be thirsty again? Well, you need to come and drink of the waters of Christ. You come and you repent, say, Lord, I'm sorry I have sinned against thee. And believe, Lord, help me to believe. I do believe. I do believe. 
And at that moment, we see here that you have very sure mercies given to you from the Son of David. May God truly bless that word to your souls. Amen. Let us pray. We thank thee, O God, for thy word. Lord, the body can be, can get so thirsty, and yet thirst comes back. And yet the soul, when it reaches out to Jesus Christ and it obeys the command of this wonderful gospel, O Lord, there is no more thirst for the soul. That doesn't take away, O Lord, that we can backslide and we can be foolish. And we can put ourselves in a position where we do not receive the full blessings of God. But we thank Thee for Christ and that He offered Himself. He who said, I thirst, so that His people would never thirst for eternity. Bless Thy word to us even unto our own salvation for those who are outside of Christ. May it be a restoring and a reviving word also. And give thyself all the glory. We pray thee in Jesus' name. Amen.